0: Om yogena chittasya padena vacham Malam sharira sya chavaydya keena Yo pravaram muninam Pathanjalim pranjali I prostrate with folded hands before Patanjali, who benefited mankind by delivering yoga for mind, grammar for speech, and by removing impurities of body through medicine. So in the last class, we were in the section of the first chapter where various preliminary practices for cleansing the mind has been discussed. We have already studied the four attitudes which has been spoken of to be practiced in four different situations in life. We have practiced some basic uh, breathing exercise, pranayama, to calm down the mind. And then we ensured when we started our study of the 35th Sutra of the first chapter, which is quite interesting which speaks of specific meditation. Specific meditation where the focus has to be done on particular part of your body. And that will enter in some super sensuous perceptions. And now you may say how it is going to help us to calm down the mind. Yes, there is a psychology behind it. That once you have those Supersensual perceptions. By focusing your mind on particular part of the body, then a conviction comes that this prapancha, the prapancha, the word prapancha means the phenomenon. This word is a very significant word. Prapancha, prakrishta rupeena pancha. What is this? That this world is nothing but what we see through the five senses. Our eyes, our ears, our nose, our taste, the tongue, and skin, the touch. These are the five senses through which uh, we sense the world. Our world is nothing apart from these five senses. And we what we see outside, it gives us a sense of tangible reality. And with a sense of tangible reality our emotions gets linked with it. The moment our emotions gets linked with it we become afflictive. The things which we like if somehow there is a separation we are very sorrow. We are very miserable for it. If there is something which I don't like and I have to be in association with it. It gives me constant suffering. So all these afflictions come into being when our emotions get linked with all those perceptions which we take to be real. Now when through meditation on the particular part of your body, we develop that super sensation that immediately the conviction comes. It's not just intellectual understanding out of realization, the conviction comes that what I see outside, it most probably is not there outside as I see it. There is something, but what it is, I don't know. What I see is actually the projection of the mind. And it's a very wonderful fact. Even the science will say you that what I see with the five senses is nothing but the projection of the mind. Let us go to that discussion to understand that how, what all we see is a projection of mind. When I see a flower, a red flower, a red rose flower, I have the idea that the flower is red. But science will say that there is no color outside. When the light falls on the flower, a particular wavelength of the light is reflected back, all are absorbed, other wavelengths are absorbed. The wavelength that is reflected has no color. The wavelengths that has been absorbed has no color. They are just particular state of vibration in particular frequency, that much. There's no color in it. The color now the wavelength which is reflected back, it comes and strikes your eyes It strikes your retina and then the optical nerve, which is behind your retina. There it gets converted into nervous current. It is something like nerve current. Optical nerve converts it into nerve current. Very interesting. The light, the colors which I am seeing outside is in no way entering your brain. The light stops that light, which has no color its function stops in your eyes after that it is getting converted into particular nerve currents. Which is something like electric current of particular frequency of particular wavelength that goes and strikes the color so called it's not color perception Center actually actually the color projection Center so it actually goes and strikes the color center in your brain the moment it reaches the color center the color is actually projected from that center it moves out envelops the so-called object whether it's what it is we don't know and then i feel oh the flower is red so with this common example with this one simple example you will understand all the five senses are doing the same thing they're not actually seeing the thing as it is outside. They are more like a projector, a wonderful projector. The human projectors through science what we got, through technology what we got is a very poor imitation of the human mind as a projector. The projector which we got through the technology can project only light and sound. And nowadays the sound is surrounding sound, to a certain extent, we get the 3D projections and we are so proud, we forget that our mind does the job in a much better way by projecting all the five perceptions, the touch, the taste, the smell, along with sight and sound, such a wonderful projector it is projecting, all this prapancha, these five senses getting mixed up to create this world of reality, this, uh, this so called the virtual world gives us a sensation it is real. Now, if through particular meditation, I find that all those perceptions as such has nothing to do with the substantial reality outside. It is, everything is hollow as such. It is we who give the color side test. It is just a mere framework on which we are imposing. During before, if you now it's the time for Durga Puja. If you go uh, to in West Bengal, Calcutta, where Durga Puja you know is a very one of the most important festival there. Now before Durga Puja, when they start preparing the idol with the clay, uh, with so they first they will with a Uh, with some hay, they make the basic structure on which they will put the clay. So what the world is giving us is just like that framework, the basic structure, the clay, the color, the every there's all those sight, sound test is we who are projecting on that framework. Now, when you realize as now we find, we know it intellectually that makes no difference. We find our attraction to the world remains undiminished because it's just a mere intellectual conviction. If it was a realization, the thing would have been different. Immediately a detachment will come. How the difference uh, between realization and intellectual conviction, you will understand. Let us take the example of a schizophrenic patient the abnormalities of the mind are the best way to study the mind. Now, in schizophrenic patients, what happens? Very interesting thing happens. The external world is there out, which we don't know what it is. We project to say it is a reality. Very interesting. What I say as red, you also see it as red. So it is called consensus reality. We all consent to it. That yes, what I see, the same thing you also see. Now it could have been so, if it could have been such that the wavelength which is interpreted as red by me, if your mind was a bit differently constituted, you could have interpreted it as green because it's all a matter of programming of the mind. If it was a bit different, it could have been Interpreted as green, and then there would have been no consensus consensus reality where we cannot consent with each other. There would have been chaos. Now, what's the difference between a schizophrenic patient and the so-called normal patient and normal person? A schizophrenic person is projecting something which others are not projecting. So it's a question of minority. It's here, you, we find in a democracy, the who the, gets the majority of the vote wins. They become the one who is going to run the government. Here also, it's a question of majority. It's a question, what is the difference between normal and abnormal? We all are hallucinating actually. But as we are all hallucinating in the same manner, we say it is okay, it is real. One who is hallucinating bit differently, we say he or she is abnormal. So you'll understand, it's a wonderful thing. Even if you go to the language of the modern medical science, you will find very interesting. They never use the word abnormal. They say such and such person is bit different. Let's see, the word is so interesting. It's bit different. And that difference has made all the so-called apparent abnormalities because such and such person is now a minority, belongs to the minority. Others, his, his reality or her reality is in no way conforming to the consensus reality which we all are seeing in common. And that's why we say such and such person is abnormal. And now why we are saying the two things, one thing, the person who is seeing a bit different from others, his or her behavior pattern changes. Where you see nothing, that person may say something and laugh and speak and just try to embrace and you may say, oh, he has gone mad or she has gone mad. Because the thing which he or she is seeing is so real to that person, his behavior pattern automatically changes. So that's why you will find that what we were saying is very important, that what I intellectually conceive has no meaning. What I realize that has a tangible meaning for me. For a schizophrenic person, however you may say, what you're seeing is hallucination, you will find it is almost impossible to make that person believe. Because it's so tangible and almost there is no treatment for it. Yes, nowadays, there's a difference between this psychedelic drugs and psychological counseling. In counseling, they won't go for the drugs, but they will counsel such type of patient. What's the counseling for such type of patient? That what you are first there, the doctor will make that person aware. The psychologist will make that person aware that what you are seeing is not agreeable to others, they're not seeing it. So that's why this confusion is created and it becomes almost impossible for you to interact with the world. Now you have the right to act as a normal person, responsible person. So what's the way out? The things which you see, which others are not seeing, you will come to know that these are the things, these particular patterns of visualization, which is so real to me. Why it is real? Because the mind is projecting. All what we see is the projection of the mind. It is so tangibly real, but it is not the consensus reality. It's not seen by others. So I will try to be indifferent to it. Throughout my life, if I'm schizophrenic, it is almost impossible to get rid of all those visualizations. They will be there, but we have to learn to be indifferent to them. So now it has come to this Sutra, you will understand when through meditation on particular part of the body, you find wonderful smell, so that supernormal, supernatural touch, smell, sight, all these are coming. Now it's a matter of conviction. What's the conviction? That, oh, this what this world I think as real is actually the projection of the mind. And you found previously that When anything is a conviction because of realization, it changes your behavior. You need not have to mentally counsel yourself. It automatically changes your behavior. So all through this type of practice, when you start getting those supernatural touch, smell, sight, etc. Immediately that realization changes your behavioral pattern. Cutting off the link of emotion with your perceptions. The link gets cut off. The dispassion, that dispassionate nature becomes something spontaneous. And once, the more and more you are dispassionate, the more calm you are. It is our passions, it is our strong likings, strong desires that is constantly agitating my mind. If the dispassion comes, knowing it very for sure that what I see is the projection of the mind. The mind is just playing tricks with me. It is fooling me. The emotion gets cut off. As in the last class we were saying that for a psychopath, that's the thing. What happens that with the perception, the emotion is always linked. For a psychopath, suddenly one morning when the symptoms have started developing, they may there's a person may get up, see his or see his or her mother, and say, You look like my mother, but you're not my mother. What has happened? That the because of some disease, the emotion center has got disjoined from the perception center. So it's looking like mother, but the, as the emotion is not involved. Somehow that person feels, is not my mother. It is impersonating as my mother, but it's not my mother. So the same thing which happens unconsciously because of some abnormality in a psychopath, when it is happening consciously, the effect is same, but instead of uh, making you totally cut off from the world, it actually makes you dispassionate. And now you can relate to the world in an unbiased manner. We may say that when we become dispassionate, we cannot love. Actually the real love comes when we are dispassionate because the bias falls off. We don't have the biases then. There's passion makes us biased. The bias falls off. Then the love becomes unconditional, equal for all. It becomes something universal. And that's the real love. So that comes from that dispassion that though we are empathetic, but at the same time uh, that we find that we are not getting emotionally disturbed by the happenings of life. And then only you can really become an effective person, productive person. You may say without emotion, how can I work? You will find a very interesting thing. That it is our emotions, which we think is uh, something called love is actually not the real love. It actually hinders our so called uh, loving relationship when some uh, let's God forbid when some of my relative very close relative is admitted in the hospital in the ICU. Who is the first person not to be allowed to be there, it's me. Because love is not emotion. My emotion, that turmoil which will I have because of my emotion, if I'm in presence of that person, my emotion will be the cause of disturbance, discouragement for my near and dear one. So now you will understand that emotion and love never goes together. My emotion actually disrupts the real love. I was supposed to be calm, composed at that moment of time to really be effective in helping others. So even you will find that the most efficient doctor, highly skilled doctor, highly skilled surgeon, when it comes that the, either he or she has to operate on his own relative, they never do it. In spite of all the skills, they will always desist from that because they know their emotion comes to the picture and then the skills will be obscured he cannot work with that unbiased uh, calm mentality so now you will understand that the love which we think is a product of emotion is totally a misunderstanding the real love can come the real compassion come come only from that calmness and that calmness which comes from that conscious disjoining of the emotion from the other centers and that happens when i have practiced a particular type of meditation to develop some super sensuous perception to give me the conviction that these perceptions or like any other perceptions, if this perception has come without the contact with the external uh, objects, all the perceptions are basically of that nature. And the sense of reality which I have in the world that starts getting uh, evaporized, sublimated. And you get more and more calm and tranquil. So, just to summarize, let the read the uh, uh, sutra once more, and then we will continue with the next sutra. What's that? Vishaya vati vav utpanna manasa stiti nibandhini. So, this pravritti here doesn't mean attachment, here it means prakrishta vritti is pravritti. It's a type of Vritti which is excellent, superlative. Which is, what's that super, that is extraordinary Vritti? What is the special Vritti? Which is Vishayavati. Means without coming in contact with the Vishaya, it is full of the perceptions of the Vishaya. That's the Vishayavati. So this Vritti is when it comes, then it becomes the result of Manasa Sthiti Nibandini. It helps to calm down, sthiti means to settle down the mind. It helps to settle down the mind, calm down the mind by making it more and more dispassionate. So that was the 35th sutra. So there are few more sutras which speaks of the process of cleansing the mind. We will now uh, go back to the share screening for those sutras, for referring those sutras and continue with our discussion. So this was the sutra which we studied that what uh, just in the commentary it was mentioned the sutra is very general in the commentary they gave a few examples that what all extraordinary sensory perceptions develop by focusing on particular type of body if you have to do perseveringly it doesn't take much time if one is sincere within few days or weeks this type of perceptions come which gives the conviction. That this spiritual journey, whatever has been spoken of is true because at the initial you get all the supersensory perceptions which gives the validity of the Yoga Shastra and it makes your renunciation form, detachment form. So if you meditate on the tip of the nose, you get supersensory smell, tip of the tongue, you get supersensory taste means on the, the tongue which is touching your teeth. That is the tip of the tongue, the middle of the tongue. That portion, uh, if you meditate, you get supersensory touch, the root of the tongue, which is near the vocal cord. There, if you meditate, you get supersensory sound. And if you meditate on the palate, you get supersensory sight. So all the five perceptions can be generated by you without as such coming in contact with the objects, giving you the conviction that all the perceptions are actually from within to without, not from outside, to inside. It is from inside to outside. And very interesting, the Vedanta, this is the thing, is speaking of thousands of years back. In Vedanta, the idea is the conscious principle, your Atman, when it comes in association with the mind, it projects out through the senses to remove the Ajna, the ignorance and give the knowledge of that object. When I read it for the first time, I thought, what a queer idea. Consciousness coming out through the mind, mind, through the senses, it is coming out, enveloping the object to remove its ignorance, to give its meaning. It made no sense. But the science helps us to understand Vedanta. As we gradually understand the science behind perception, we find what a wonderful thing yoga and Vedanta is speaking of. And this Sutra indicates to that. Now let's go to the next Sutra. This is also a very interesting Sutra. These all Sutras, sometimes you will find various commentaries, various commentaries, giving various square meanings. But if you go to the words, you will find wonderful meaning coming out. I will try, we will try to exactly go to the words and try to find out what it is speaking of. Vishoka Va Jyotismati That stability of the mind can be produced by what? Or. Va means or. So, There are so many methods already has been spoken of. This is another method. So this Va means another. Or. By awareness which is free from sorrow and is illumined. Vishoka Jyotismati Initially it may make no sense. That which is illumined and which is free of sorrow. In most of the commentary, they will say, Meditate on the heart, where the one uh, sage or saint is as if sitting, or some incarnation, divine incarnation is sitting, who is beyond all sorrow, Vishoka. And think of him as something luminous. He is illuminating your heart. Yes, that is a process of meditation. But uh, behind that process of meditation, is there any other hidden meaning which this sutra is speaking of? So that instead of specifying a particular type of meditation to mean this sutra, actually any type of meditation can be interpreted by this sutra, any type of meditation. Not only mere visualization, but even mindfulness. You know, in this world, there are so many types of meditation. But if you just boil down all the meditation at last, it can be boiled down only to two types of meditation. One is mindfulness, and the other is focus. And the mindfulness means I'm not meditating on a particular object. Dispassionately, I'm looking at my own mind. I'm not reacting. I'm just not avoiding. I'm not trying to run away. I'm seeing it. But at the same time, I am not getting involved with it so there is no question of focus just to go and observe your mind dispassionately without reacting to your feelings and emotions that is one type and another is focus that focus can be varied it can be focused on certain visualization as we spoke of now that some uh, form of divinity sitting in your heart, it's illumined, it's beyond all sorrow, that can also be done. But if I interpret as that some illumined being is sitting in my heart or illumined object is sitting in my heart and illumined lotus is in my heart and it is beyond all sorrow, the mindfulness aspect is not taken care of. So let us try to interpret the sutra in such a way that all sorts of meditation can be interpreted by this sutra. So what is this Suta speaking of? Now let us take the mindfulness. In mindfulness when you are focused at the present, being fully aware of the feelings and emotions but not reacting to them. So this practice will enable you to get rid of all afflictions by not getting identified with them, To to be a bit more specific that how actually we can practice mindfulness. In some other context, we spoke of this specific uh, way of practicing mindfulness. In the modern psychology, they speak of RAIN acronym, uh, acronym, R-A-I-N, RAIN acronym, we will come to it later. First, let us take uh, any particular emotion, so say anger that because of some reason, some incident which happened in my workplace, I developed some anger, most probably because of some misbehavior of, with my boss. My boss misbehaved with me or some colleague misbehaved with me. And that anger grew within me. When I came back, when I'm uh, retiring at my own residence, at my home, suddenly that anger springs in my mind. So instead of trying to get rid of it by trying to getting, by uh, running away from it, by turning off on the TV or trying to engage in something else, that's how we generally try to get rid of it. What in mindfulness we are actually asked to do, don't run away from it, run into it. Go and start observing the anger. Now how to stop the reaction? You will find all the reaction actually is related to past or future. It has nothing to do with the present. That when I'm angry, I'm constantly nurturing that anger with the past. How? I'm thinking of the incident that happened. That is nurturing. And future also nurtures it. How? That I am planning that Today the colleague misbehaved with me. He has used such and such words. What I am going to say him or her tomorrow? So you are planning for the future, anticipating. That nurtures your anger. If you run into anger, and just say, "Oh, anger! I want to stay with you, but I won't allow the past and the future to nourish you." I get. I will cut off. I will just you stay. I. I there is no harm. I am quite happy with you. I want to stay with you. I don't run away from you. You will find the moment with full awareness. All the reaction comes from that past and the future. As you're disjoining from that. You're trying to focus in the present. You will find a wonderful thing. The anger is gradually vanishing. Just like camphor, it is sublimating. It's no more there. So this has been spoken of as RAIN acronym. R stands for recognize. Don't run away. Yes. An emotion is there. What's that emotion? Anger. Yes, I recognize. A stands for acceptance. I accept it. Okay, quite good. I, I will stay with you. I'm not running away from you. I stands for investigation. That. When you investigate the nature of any emotion, you will find that reaction only comes when you are nurturing it with the past and with the future. Otherwise it simply supplements. So once you investigate, now you negate, N stands for negating, that I don't allow the past or the future to nurture it. N means negate, N means constant noticing. I'm constantly noticing it and not allowing that and negating it, noticing it, and negating it. And when you do that, the emotion stays with you, but you have transcended. What you have transcended? That it no more affects you. You can totally get disidentified from it. As a result, what happens? To take another example, in meditation it happens, I will give you a very nice meditation, it's a, a real meditation, one Buddhist monk is speaking of it that he sat for meditation and he was practicing mindfulness and he was asked not to get up from the seat for hours together, for two hours. And as he was not habituated to meditate that long, the knees started aching. Now the instructor has told that when the knees ache, don't move it, that will be reaction. Just concentrate on that pain, that the pain is there. If someone else has a pain, do you have reaction? No, so think this pain is also like an object. It has objectify it. Don't make it a subject that it is my pain. The pain is there. I am just observing it. What happens, you know, very interesting. He says that when one day I understood that I have succeeded in transcending that pain. Well, the, when I was observing the pain, suddenly one bird chirped. And to me, both were the same. The chirping of the where, uh, bird was also something an object. The pain was also an object. The ego has fallen off that this is my pain or this is the bird which is something apart from me. Both appeared to be the same object. So what happens, it's not that you are using meditation to create an anesthetic effect, that there won't be any pain. Pain is there, but you don't react to it. Not only that, you have objectified it, you have detached your ego from it to transcend it. So what happens, you're fully aware. In this type of meditation, what happens when someone says that, You go beyond pain, pleasure, sorrow. The immediate reaction is, oh, by meditation, you become something like a veggie. No, it's just the opposite. When you are becoming Vishoka, you're transcending the suffering. It is not at the cost of your awareness. It is not anesthetic. It is not anesthetic that you are just totally forgetting the pain. That pain, that feeling is fully there. You are realizing that, yes, the pain is there. But you have disjoined yourself so your awareness is in no way what you say that has been uh, under the effect of anesthesia that you are as if sedated there is no sedation it is not sedation you have got rid of your sorrow by being fully aware of it that awareness has been spoken of as jyoti illumination That your mind is fully aware but you have transcended the sorrow by just objectifying by totally disjoining yourself from all the pains and pleasures of life. We can do that. It's a gradual practice. So this Vishoka Jyotismati now you will understand speaks of the practice of mindfulness and of course the visualization process also can yield the same result. If I can think of a Lotus in my heart, fully illumined, that's my real nature, which is totally separate from the body. As in the word of Ramakrishna, when spiritual illumination dawns in, then what happens? The interesting thing happens is, it, you become like a ripened coconut. He's saying that a, a person who is attached is like an unripe coconut where the shell and the kernel is intermingled you cannot separate them they're all conjoined when the coconut gets ripened the shell and the kernel gets separated if you shake it you can find something that uh, something is making noise inside the shell has got totally separated from the kernel and that's what Sri Ramakrishna is saying is like a Realized soul is like a ripened coconut, where that feeling that the soul the, the within me is something totally disjoined, separate from the body. And it's not that you are not aware of the pain. The pain's awareness is there. It is not that you have anesthetized yourself or sedated yourself. You're fully aware. Your awareness is extremely keen, but it has transcended by getting Disjoined from all the so-called feelings. So that's, we will find very interesting that when Sri Ramakrishna in his last days suffering from cancer, that was a very, very, uh, in those days there was no treatment. The cancer was in a very advanced stage. His throat cancer, nothing he could eat, whatever he will eat, more than half of the food will just be vomited out because the cancer got so much lacerated. He was just somehow whispered, couldn't talk properly. But someone if asks that, sir, how are you? In Bengali, uh, he will s- just sp- spell out a coplet. The body knows it's suffering. Oh mind, remain at peace. And it was something which, could, which was totally reflected in his demeanor, in his appearance. That one day, one of the young uh, disciple, he was just in his teens, he came and asked Ramakrishna, how are you? He told, oh, I am suffering. That The young boy immediately told, but it seems that you are full of bliss, but you are saying you are suffering. And immediately Ramakrishna had a hearty laugh and told, that rascal has caught me. Means, I have been just like the way the detective finds out your real intention. He has actually found out the real uh, incident, the real fact behind this apparent suffering. That, that rascal has caught me. That's what he's saying. In Bengali, he's saying. So that's the idea that you have totally disjoined. It's not that you are not aware of the suffering, you have got rid of the suffering. It's there. The body knows it's suffering. The mind is at bliss by being totally disjoined, and that is the idea of vishoka va jyotismati. So, we can practice either by mindfulness or even by some visualization, where we visualize the one who is residing in my heart is totally disjoined from the psychophysical existence, it has nothing to do with it, it is just the witness that also that visualization can also take you to that state of Vishoka Jyotismati as well as the mindful awareness both so now you will find that if you don't specify this sutra with a particular type of visualization you can actually uh, include all sorts of meditation to interpret this sutra and once we become an adept in this type of meditation, either by mindfulness or by visualization, focused visualization, we can transcend the suffering, all the small sufferings, little fever at present disturbs me, little headache disturbs me. So I can easily get rid of them and I can maintain the calmness of my mind in spite of all those causes of turmoils, which is really going to disturb me if I am constantly identified with them, so unless I can calm down my mind a little, how can I think of further progress? So by this type of mindfulness, which has therapeutic effect, but also at the same time it creates that calmness in your mind, as a, which is required as a preliminary practice for progressing in your spiritual journey. So that's what has been spoken of in the 36th sutra. So now. The, the next 37 Sutra speaks of the stability of mind can be produced by some another practice. What is that? Vitaragasya va chittam. Or by contemplating on a mind which is free from desires. So this is the thing which we do. That, that my God, my chosen ideal, who is as if sitting in my heart is free from all desires. I meditate on that heart. I think on that heart. So Vrittiswar Sarupyam, Vrittis Sarupyam means identical Vrittis, changes your nature. When you can, through meditation, you can visualize something, contemplate something, culture on something, that the thing which you're culturing, that becomes your nature. Our nature is nothing but the expression of our mind. So here it has been spoken of, that's the way to calm down our mind. Take some holy person, some great person whom you revere, some saint whom you know to be perfectly non-attached and think of his heart, meditate on that heart. It will calm the mind. If you cannot do that, so you see yoga is like a benevolent mother that uh, uh, if the child somehow Uh, You cannot nourish, say, uh, with most of the children, they won't uh, like some of the vegetables. The mother knows how to make the child eat that vegetable. Uh, She she will prepare some dish which the child likes in which those vegetables will be hidden. And that's how the mother knows how, by hook or by crook, to make the child eat that vegetable and nourish him. Yoga is also doing that. There is varied ways. Okay, you don't like this, go for the next. You don't like this, go for the next. So here, on the thirtieth, it is speaking of another wonderful idea. Swapna Nidra Jnana Alambanam Va. So you can calm down the mind by meditating on the knowledge that comes in dream or in sleep. So very interesting that in a, the we generally say, when anyone says in dream I saw my chosen ideal we say it's never false it's true it's never false you know why very interesting that when in the wakeful state when we are focused we are constantly accessing information and when we are in when we go to sleep whatever information you have accessed now the processing goes on So in our education system, we will find that some of the parents stress too much on focusing. They will ask their child to just focus on their study from morning till evening without any relaxation. That's not good. Focusing is required for accessing the information and the relaxation is required to process those information. Sometimes we will find that some of the child has developed the habit of uh, solving mathematics while listening to some soft music. Of course if he's hearing some jarring uh, rock music, it's not going to help him in the uh, in solving mathematics. But if it's a soft music, it can really help. Sometimes the parent may discourage but actually if we know the science behind it, we will encourage okay, it's good. What happens? For solving mathematics you have already you know the all the equations, everything you have access to the data. But now, at which step, which equation to use to process all the acquired, all the accessed information, you need your mind to be a bit relaxed. I will give you a very common example. You will find that even in Australia, till the class twelfth exam, it is a, from the Asian background the students excel; they are all the toppers but what happens in the university suddenly you will find the moment it goes to the research you will find now the so called those who are coming from the western background have started have excelling there there we don't excel much you know the same reason because those who are from the asian background their uh, our guidance is such the mother the father always stresses that you should be focused that helps till the higher secondary level where you are acquiring your in, all the information and just that you're spelling out in your examination. But when it comes to the research, you have to process. We have not developed that faculty because we have not given the child the relaxation required. There was no relaxation. It is required. So you will find many of the scientific discoveries has happened in dream. Actually, all the dreams are not scientific. Most of the dreams are trash, worthless. To give an example, what happens in the wakeful state, I have seen gold. In the wakeful state, I have seen mountain. Now most of the processing will go wrong. In deep sleep, when the conscious mind is not there to see how the processing is going on, the gold which I have seen in the waking state may just get conjoined with the idea of the mountain, and I may see in dream a golden mountain. It's a fantasy, it's not truth. But sometimes some ideas gets fixed with some ideas, which results in wonderful discovery. Just there are many discoveries. One example, when Watson and Crick were researching on DNA, they couldn't find out the structure of DNA, and they were tired uh what's uh, it's crick actually he he was tired he went to sleep in sleep he saw a queer visualization what's the visualization two snakes are co means have coiled each other they're embracing each other in a coiled fashion they have coiled each other mutually Coiled each other and then when he woke up I saw why is this queer uh uh dream I got, has it something to do with the structure of the DNA? If you see the structure of the DNA, you will find the two strands are connected with each other, coiled around each other. From the dream, he got that idea. It was a huge leap of imagination. How it has happened in the dream, somehow, the ideas he were accessing in the, the focused mind that got chance to process and it processed in, sub, in such a way that it gave a leap in the imagination, imagination to conform to the fact and resulting in a wonderful discovery. Many discoveries, this is just one I'm saying, most of the discoveries has happened with that type of leap in the imagination. So why we are speaking of here? So all the dreams which you have as for the spiritual domain is concerned is also of the similar nature. When you start living spiritual life consciously, in your day-to-day life, you're trying to think of your Ishtar, You're trying to communicate with him. All these are like accessed information in your waking state, in the dream state, they get processed to create some wonderful vision. Never doubt it because this vision, the more you are convinced about its reality, the more it will motivate you in your spiritual journey. It enriches your experiments and motivates you to proceed farther. So that way whatever such uh, knowledge you get from the dreams suddenly in the one day in a, you got a wonderful dream, sublime dream. In the dream you find your mind has calmed down in some wonderful sublime presence. Try to visualize it in the waking state. Know it to be true and visualize it it will give you a wonderful motivation, sincerity of purpose, and that will accelerate your progress in the spiritual journey. It gives a tremendous leap. It helps you by giving you a tremendous leap in coming calming down your mind. So mind in the waking state, when focused or concentrated, access information, and when relaxed or dreaming or in deep sleep, process information. It is often seen that a student is extremely focused to solve a problem or a scientist is focused to find out a solution but fails. And then being tired and exhausted, falls asleep and wakes up with a wonderful solution. That happens because the mind was processing all the access data in sleep. When spiritual life gets intensified, the same process happens while uh, we are having vivid visualizations in dream. Which enriches our experience and motivates us to proceed farther. So we are almost uh, coming to the end of this section of this cleansing of mind preliminary practices. Now at last, what he is saying is very interesting. What Yoga Sutra is saying: "Yatha abhimata dhyanaatva." If you find none of them are helping, then meditate on anything that appeals to you as good. Not on some wicked subject. Not on some sensual thing. To just what anything means. Suppose you went to some holy place. You are not of spiritual inclination. Suppose you went to some temple because you had to accompany someone of some of your relative who is very devoted. He wanted someone to accompany and just unwillingly to accompany that person you went and you find that atmosphere very sublimating. Don't allow the mind to forget about it. If you find that no other practice is helping you, why not sit down and just think you're again in the shrine, again in that atmosphere and that sublime environment in which you are uh, present without any actually uh, preparations. You have never wanted to be there. It just happened by chance. It is like a God's gift that suddenly that please the peace, uh, bliss, that peace you enjoyed. Why not visualize it? You went to some holy place, some pilgrimage, and there you found that your mind was automatically calmed down. That environment, that the sublime atmosphere, spiritually enthralled atmosphere, has enabled you to calm down your mind. Why not visualize those things? Or while walking, in the, during the morning walk, the scenery, the wonderful scenery, scenic, sublime, scenic beauty, calm down your mind. Why not visualize that? So all those things, anything which appeals to you as good as sublime, you can use them as a visualization. That Don't just allow that event to be over once you have experienced it it is there in your psyche as you have liked it it is deep there in your psyche bring it back as memory and visualize it and that will calm down your mind so yatha abhimata dhyanadbha so on anything that appeals to you as good so it doesn't mean any wicked subject but anything good and sublime like memory of a holy place or sublime scenery or any sublime idea for it's not the object of meditation but our affinity towards the object of meditation that ascertains the quality of meditation. So I I need not have to force myself to meditate on something. Whatever I like, that affinity will automatically uh, make my meditation qualitative because of the affinity. Just the way the mother does not have to meditate on the child, the affinity makes her think of the child spontaneously. Similarly, whatever things you are affiliated to, you have affinity towards, the meditation becomes more and more spontaneous so don't force if you don't like the idea of God, you can take any beautiful scenery on that also you can meditate see how. Uh, broad this yoga is how universal it is anything the goal is to bring the peace of mind to bring the tranquility of mind, and you can adopt any of this matter, so when you have. Uh, to certain extent become adept in one type of meditation, then what will happen, that's the conclusion, the last Sutra we speak, then you can can meditate on anything. As as Swami Vivekananda used to say, that if you can cook well, you can meditate well. Why? For cooking well, you need a lot of concentration. So you have developed the faculty of concentration of meditation by cooking. Now this same, this faculty of concentration now can be easily used to concentrate on God. That's why we find when Sri Ramakrishna became perfect, because, uh, became spiritually realized in one way of practice. For twelve years he went on practicing various paths, and all those uh, in all, all those paths realization came in three days. He took three days to go to the realization for each and for each path. So many things he practiced, but he, it required not more than three days to uh, become an adept in a particular type of meditation. How was it possible? Because he has already equipped his mind with a particular type of meditation. Now it becomes easy. So now once you become adept in meditation in this world, from something minutely small to something magnumous, very big, whatever you concentrate your mind, your mind, you will find, is in your, in your control. You can immediately concentrate your mind. With that, this section ends. The Fortress Sutra says that When the mind develops the power of stabilizing from something minute, paramanu, to something that is great, there's mahatvanta, this mahat, which is something very great. In anything you can now meditate. Then the mind is under your control. So after equipping you with this cleansing process of the mind, now the Yoga Sutra will enter into the details of the Samadhi, which we have already studied. All those process of Samadhi. Now we won't repeat for the time being. At the last when we uh, have a very, uh, what you say that a bird's eye view of the entire Yoga Sutra, then again, we will summarize that in short. So now, after this, we will go to the second chapter, uh, uh, where after speaking of these preliminary practices, now this the sadhana, the detailed uh, spiritual practice, step by step, will be dealt with in the second chapter. That's why the second chapter is named as sadhana pada the practice. So that chapter, uh, we will enter uh, from the commencing class. With this, we stop our discussion today. Namaskar.
1: Namaskar. Swamiji. Namaskar. Good night. Swami Swamiji. Ha, I have first. a question, Swamiji. I'm not yeah. sure. Yeah. You may have covered it. You know how you said dis- uh, like like renunciation and being lazy, they're entirely opposite to each other. Yeah. In both we feel same, but it's entirely opposite ends. So what I'm wondering is, when we disjoin, like when we start seeing a body as an object we start disjoining from our body pains or whatever it is mm. slowly if we move towards when we see our mind or the thoughts also as if we start objectifying them also like sort of thoughtless state if i'm right
0: it's not thoughtless I, uh, you're objectifying you object, are, we
1: are seeing the thoughts we are becoming mm. aware of it but mm. we don't personally attach to it yes. so are we going on the right path or we have taken already the wrong path
0: no, it depends on what type of meditation you are practicing. If you are med- practicing the meditation on this focused meditation, then of course your you uh, will try to disjoin yourself from the pain and keep your mind on the object of meditation. That's a different type. And if you are practicing mindfulness, then the practice becomes different. There is no particular focus. Yes, the if the body is uh, having some pain, I focus my mind on the pain. But at the same time, I don't react. I won't move my legs. Let me focus my mind there. So what type of meditation you're practicing? If you're practicing focus meditation, then of course I have to bring back my mind from the pain and keep it in the object of meditation. And if it is mindfulness, then of course uh, there's no question of focus. I have to keep it uh, concentrated on the pain without reacting. Uh, But uh, to integrate these two, it's better always to practice mindfulness at the beginning so that you develop some sort of stability. Because if you start at the beginning with the focus, then what happens? A little pain will distract you so much you cannot continue. You develop perseverance through mindfulness to certain extent so that the pain doesn't disturb you. So now your focus will become qualitative. You can continue with the focus for long. So if we can integrate this too, then we can get really get a much better result. Okay,
1: thank you, Swamiji. So during the day, sorry, I'm just clarifying a little bit more, during our daily activities, day-to-day activities, whatever thoughts or whatever process, I'm not sitting in a meditation, but whatever comes, if I can see them, if I can objectify those thoughts.: Yes. Is this the
0: right path or?: I'm... Of course, that's because when I am working at that time, focused meditation is almost impossible, but I can be mindful. Uh, when I'm doing doing my day-to-day activities at each and every step not to react Uh, at the very first instance I don't react I give it a thought if even if I have to react the reaction will be like the hissing of a snake not biting so there also you will find your emotion is not attached just to save yourself that you're hissing to protect yourself but you're not biting you're not throwing the poison so first you give a thought if you find there is no need of hissing don't hiss if there's a need for hissing don't be aware of the fact that i don't throw the poison because it is going to disturb me just to protect myself i'm hissing so that is also uh, actually uh, um, trying to get rid of all reactions that that when you're trying to hiss so of course that's the only way when you are uh, uh, in your working when you are working when you are busy with your day-to-day activities then you can not think of focus, of course.
1: Yes, so that's where I was confused. Thank you, Swamiji. Yeah. yeah,
0: yeah. Ah, namaskar. Hari Om. Namam Swamiji. Namam Swamiji. Namam Swamiji. Namaskar. Namsamji.